Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Technology, particularly mobile technology, has enabled many of us to learn and work from anywhere and at any time. Although this may at first seem very liberating, it raises some important considerations. For learning, content on mobile devices requires a different design and approach, while both working and learning from anywhere, anytime, raises the importance of dedicated time and space. To discuss these issues, I'm very happy to be joined by Imogen Caseborn, who brings deep knowledge in both the research and practice of workplace learning technologies. Following an initial degree in philosophy and a master's in artificial intelligence, Imogen has worked as a writer and designer of online learning for nearly 25 years, during which time she has been involved in the design of multiple courses, curriculums, and authoring tools. She has designed solutions for tablets, smartphones, and led the team that won gold for the best use of mobile learning at the eLearning Awards in 2012, going on to herself win the Instructional Designer of the Year Award in 2017. Imogen is currently studying part-time for a doctorate in education at the University of Oxford, focusing on mobile technology and work-related learning. Thank you very much, Imogen, for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. To start off, I wanted to, to dig deeper into your experience. So as workplace learning and the use of technology in the field has changed significantly over the over the recent years, many years, can you tell me about the work that you have done over the past 25 years in workplace learning and how things have changed over time? Sure. So I guess starting out, I, I did a lot of context-sensitive online help for design software. Mm-hmm. So so quite co- sort of complex design software. And we were trying to not just tell them what the buttons did, but tell them how to uh, follow certain processes. Okay. So, so we were sort of creating simulations, task-based simulations. And those sorts of things are particularly helpful, I think, for companies who are considering introducing new software because they allow people to have a safe place to practice tasks mm-hmm. without, you know, accidentally deleting something really important on the live sure. software. So so that's kind of reassuring for the so individual. So to practice. Exactly. Right. And they can have feedback when they're practicing. So mm-hmm. that's a great way to learn. You You can watch a demonstration, have a go yourself and get feedback on what you're doing right or wrong. Right. And so that's where things kind of started in your experience, what what you've been working on. How has this field progressed over the 25 years that you've been in in workplace learning technology? So simulation is definitely still part of the landscape today, but there's so much more. So how how have things kind of shifted? Sure. Well, that's that's where it started for me. I moved on to doing other simulations, not software, but soft skills. So, for example, giving people practice interviewing. And for those sorts of things, you might have a video. Mm -hmm. And again, you probably have seen some demonstrations first. 
And then there would be a video and you would actually get to choose how to respond to what the interviewee or, or the other person was saying. And uh, again, see, see how they responded to your choices. So again, simulations like that are off, offer a way, a safe place for practice and a way of getting, getting, getting tailored feedback to your practice, which is, I think, there's research in workplace learning, for example, Billet has done a lot of research looking at how people learn in the workplace when they're not in a classroom. Mm-hmm. And those the sorts of strategies that that people actively take involve observation and um, practice. So so these these sorts of simulations can be quite good in facilitating and speeding up that kind of learning and, and mm-hmm. making it feel safe. Right, and of course, in situations, for example, like medicine, where um, trainee doctors are practicing their skills, obviously it's a lot better to practice when it's not in the real real context of, a, of an operations is much better if you can practice it outside of the real context. So technology is a huge help for that, isn't it? Sure, yeah. Sim- simulations, I think, in medicine, it's not particularly an area of my expertise, but uh, various types of simulation are, are more and more commonly used in medicine and medical training. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's also an area where you know, 25 years ago, there wasn't a lot of mobile learning. Mm-hmm. But that's 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 one area in particular where mobile phones, not necessarily for simulations, but for training for people who are on the move quite a lot and might want to get reference or help in the moment wherever they are. Right. And so that is uh, that is the work that you've been doing more recently, isn't it? So moving away from simulations, uh, what kind of leading edge technologies are in existence now for learning in the workplace so how is mobile mobile used in that regard well i think mobile is great for people who move in the course of their work mm-hmm. so people whose work takes them from one location to another a good example of that might be a plumber so if you imagine a sort of trainee apprentice plumber mm-hmm. they would learn how to do the basics of their trade mm-hmm. and they would probably follow someone who was more experienced from place to place to to start off with. But there would come a time when they find themselves alone with a problem. That's where having a device, a mobile device, can be really helpful because obviously you can look things up, you can ask for help, you can ask for advice, you can send a photo of what you're doing to a more experienced person to see if, if if you've done the right thing. So, I mean, that's just one example of one type of job where that can be extremely helpful because it kind of allows expertise and help to go with you to where you're working. So mm. particularly helpful for people who's uh, are mobile in their work. Yes, absolutely. And so in terms of um, designing these types of learning technologies uh, for the workplace, there are certain design of spaced practice that you and I have discussed previously. What does that look like? And in your view, I mean, how does that change the way that we should be designing these types of software. What are your thoughts around spaced practice and uh, and designing technologies? Sure. Well, starting starting with spaced practice, I think that's a, a sort of slightly different use case or solution for for mobile technologies. But it's um, there's there's some research that suggests that for some types of thing that people need to learn, languages being perhaps a good example little and often very regularly mm-hmm. it's helpful 
and repeating, repeating something again and again. And so that's where space practice comes in. And I think mobile devices are particularly helpful because they allow you to fit this sort of thing in, in pockets and windows of time where there might not be anything else that you can be getting on with. So, so that's sometimes referred to as dead time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of time can be used to be practicing the language you're trying to learn or some other type of uh, task where regular repetition is helpful. Mm-hmm. Or, or you could also be involved in a more drawn-out simulation delivered by mobile devices that those sorts of things have been created. Example, I guess, that I worked on was for maths revision for uh, GCSE. So you'd be about uh, 15 or 16 when you take those exams. Mm -hmm. And uh, we created maths revision so that they could look things up and practice in little tiny sort of bite-sized chunks. And the idea was that they could do that on their phones. They got feedback. They could also watch videos showing, um, giving sort of examples and metaphors of mathematical concepts. And they could do that uh, repeatedly in small pockets of time when they had nothing else to do. And the idea was that that might help them find the time for revision and make it make it feel a little less onerous. Yes, absolutely. And mobile devices are definitely a good, good tool for that. And in the workplace, what kind of design strategies did you find over the years that have been really successful, specifically when you're designing work-related learning into mobile. So people can go use the mobile and and use the little chunks of time they have, as you said, for GCSE, little chunks to learn, uh, do their revisions and learn for the exam. But in terms of workplace skills and workplace learning, um, that is not necessarily getting ready for an exam. What are some good, good design strategies that you use to help people take advantage of the of the little chunks of time to learn from through their mobile devices sure well i think i think it's important and also to your question about zoom and uh, reproducing uh, lectures and things online i think it's important to be very cognizant of what it is you're helping people with mm-hmm. um, why the technology specifically is helpful and what the people are doing and uh, what their lives and their work lives and their time looks like. So, for example, you know, lectures can be great sometimes, but if you think about what uh, going to a lecture in a more traditional way or going to a classroom and hearing a talk, it, it has the advantage of bringing lots of people together to an expert. But of course, now we can easily access those experts online it's less important for us to travel to the person who knows knows the thing. But the other advantage of going to a lecture is that it usually keeps out all distractions. You won't find things there that will prevent you from concentrating on what the expert is saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously that, that may not be the case if you're accessing the lecture or the talk via your mobile device. But that needn't necessarily be a problem. So, for example, podcasts can be can be really helpful because they can be combined with other tasks. Um, and, and that's one of the things I found in my research. A lot of people talked about uh, listening to podcasts while they were driving or cooking or doing the ironing. And it was a way for them to fit in listening to sort of lecture type formats uh, while also getting on with other things. 
So that was quite convenient for them. But of course, we can't assume that everyone wants to do that. Right. And also the same way that lecture is delivered and the way it's designed into the technology is not necessarily the same for people to be able to get the information while they're ironing, while they're in the car is quite different, isn't it? From when they're in the lecture space of a, of a dedicated room. Sure. And they're, they're unlikely to be taking notes, for example. Right. But, you know, people might listen to a podcast more than once. Mm -hmm. if they find it really interesting. But yes, it's thinking about how that information is structured and um, sequenced and whether you have repetition at the beginning and the end to help right. people take that information in while they're doing those things. Because certainly it's not about the technology, learning technology shouldn't be about reproducing the classroom. Rather, it is enhancing the, the experience from that medium, isn't it? Right, right, exactly. It's it's about, you should start from, I think, from scratch about what it is that they need to learn and um, how that would best be done. So classrooms aren't always ideal places for learning some things. As an example, as one of my colleagues once created a simulation that uh, showed you the concept of lean mm -hmm. and how to, how to organise a factory. So like lean manufacturing. Right, right. How to organise mm -hmm. a factory according to the principles of lean. And it had all right. these fantastic little animations that showed you the factory operating and all the things moving around the factory. You could opt to make some changes to the layout of the factory and to how various things work. You were asked to make a prediction as to what changes you expected to see as a result. Mm. And you could interview a whole bunch of different employees and get their suggestions and mm. then uh, once you decided what you were going to do you could see feedback in terms of watching the factory and also seeing how how much more or less efficient you'd made it as a result of your changes right. so that sort of thing would be quite hard to reproduce in a classroom just yes. because of way, the way classrooms work mm -hmm. so so just taking a lecture that might have been delivered in a classroom and uh turning it into a podcast or into some e-learning, I think that wouldn't have been the right approach for something like that because actually being able to tinker around with it and each person being able to do that themselves in their own time was probably more powerful as a learning experience. That sounds fantastic. Yes, it does sound like a really great learning experience. And yet some people, perhaps many, uh, are not that positive about the e-learning uh, courses that they have taken at work. So why do you think that is? And what approaches do you take in, in ensuring that the design is something that addresses this issue? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, uh, so to the first question, I think there are probably a number, a number of reasons. And I hate to say it, but probably not all e-learning courses are that well designed. I've certainly seen a few that really could be improved upon. So it could be that they're, they're tedious that you, you have to listen to someone talking really slowly, you can't speed it up, you can't slow it down, you can't pause it if you suddenly need to get up and go to the door. So all of those sorts of things, bad sequencing, bad layout, all those sorts of things can really turn people off. Right, um, the interface of it and the, and the experience of it, that kind of gets accentuated, doesn't it? It's sometimes easier to listen to someone with a dull voice in the physical classroom, but actually listening to that same voice 
at your desk at work when you have a lot of other things going on it really amplifies the the tediousness of it doesn't it <laughs> right and your email is there calling to you exactly or whatever whatever of a task you have mm-hmm. right there right there at your fingertips so so that's one issue and I, Another issue, I think, is that for a lot of e-learning courses that people might experience as their first e-learning course, they may be mandatory training that they're forced to repeat mm-hmm. year on year. And sometimes that's the identical course that they took last year, which can feel a little uh, off-putting, I think. So what are your recommendations? Because I think everyone has experienced these uh, mandatory online courses at work. And, and you're right, they are tedious and... Um, and not always well designed, but there, I think that there's a shift happening, and you're certainly part of that. So, what what are your suggestions on how to make this a much better experience and design to avoid to to avoid these issues? Well, I think what I try to do when I'm involved with a design project is to really look at what the uh, learners are doing what they're thinking. So do they think that this course is worth their time or do they think it's something of a box ticking exercise that the the organisation is forcing upon them? Are they interested in it? Do they think it's necessary? How do you do that in terms of, I mean, you know, there's certain things like a securities course or some kind of policy course that people just kind of need to get through. So how how do you as as a learning technology designer address that? First, you said that you find out what it is that's important to the users, which sure. is critical, but can you just elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. Well, finding out what's what's important to the users or the organization, I mean, with the users, you know, talk to them, you know, try and get different representatives of different uh, users from different perspectives, interview them, or, or if there isn't time for that, there should be time to interview at least perhaps one or two, create a survey, but you know, actually ask people what they think. I, I find that can be a very good starting point. For, for example, I worked on a big course for the National Health Service about 10 years ago, and it was actually for carers in care homes, so rather mm-hmm. topical um, today. Very topical, and, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And we actually interviewed representatives from, I think it was 22 care homes across, across the area that the course was, was, you know, where the course was being commissioned. And we uh, interviewed carers and also their managers. Mm-hmm. So we got quite a, quite a big picture of um, what was important to them, but also uh, what their lives were like and, and when they might be able to engage in learning. Being able to understand what's important to, in their job, which is something that the designers of, of workplace learning don't always, because they don't do that particular job, they may not have a full understanding of it, um, and also how to fit it into their 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 lifestyle and their and their schedules, which can be determined by their job. So, what did you find out that wouldn't have come to the surface without doing that? What kind of uh, nuances did you find out by interviewing and getting those? Uh, the practitioners involved? Sure. Well, one thing was that they were perhaps much more interested and keen to learn than than the commissioners might have thought. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they were really excited by the opportunities to learn. But okay. they were also, because of the nature of the work, a lot of them worked part-time, so they were really time-pressured. And what became apparent was that 
for these people if, if things could be delivered in quite short block those people who had you know only worked a few hours every week they could maybe only spend maybe 15 minutes a day and to um, package on... in nuggets of information that can be cohesive yeah. in 15 minutes exactly and and then also to sequence it so that it, it made sense and built up over time okay so that's not something that was in existence before no no, no. it was uh it was like one day or two day workshops before right well that's it's such an important thing and so it's often discussed to get people involved in the process and understand their what their professional practice is in order to design the right learning but i don't think it happens uh, nearly enough and you just brought right now a point about time and about how for them blocking it into bits of time is much more effective than if it were a full two two day course and actually you recently wrote a blog on the Oxford University Department of Education um, site, and you were reflecting on your research through the lens of the pandemic, uh, particularly the role that space and time has in the work and learning. So can you tell me more about that? Because we've been touching on it throughout different uh, the different examples, and this was a fantastic article that you wrote. Thank you. Sure. So yeah, um, in my research, because I'm looking at work-related mobile learning and a lot of the people that I've been talking to aren't very mobile in their work so so a bit earlier on we were talking about people like plumbers who need to move from place to place in order to do their jobs but a lot of the people I've been talking to more recently tend to work in one place so they so would be they for example people who work in an office is that what you right mean? right okay. exactly so they might work in a large open plan office and um, so they're not enormously mobile but they they still do engage in mobile learning so so that's that's interesting and it raises questions about what that means for them given that it's work related and they aren't especially mobile in their work so what does that mean for them because i think a lot of people relate to that working in especially open plan offices which is more has become more and more the the norm so so let's dig into that a little bit what does that what did that mean and what was the solution well, so open plan offices aren't necessarily great places for learning. And we we talk about people doing learning anywhere, anytime. But the, the place that people mostly are during their working hours are these large and potentially quite noisy open plan offices. Yes, very and, true. And, and that's not true for everyone, because some people thought it was absolutely fine to concentrate in those types of locations. But for others, they just found it too difficult. So their mobility or one aspect of their mobility was was about moving away, <laughs> moving away from places where they couldn't concentrate uh, and trying to seek places where they could. So somewhere that was quieter or where they wouldn't be interrupted. And that's not always easy, is it, to negotiate with, with your management and with work, depending how understanding people are about the need for dedicated space and dedicated time and how that's perceived. Um, I certainly saw that in in work that I've done as well, where sometimes it's seen that if you're working from home, it can be seen as not working or if you need a separate room. It depends on the understanding that people have. So how did mobile learning work and benefit these types of individuals? Well, so so some of them might take themselves uh, away to a meeting room if they could find one and just book themselves into it so that they were then in a quiet place where they were less likely to be interrupted because they were apparently 
you know, in it, there's there's a there's an etiquette that suggests you don't necessarily barge into a meeting room right. in the way that you might wander over to someone in an open plan office. Some people would kind of almost just put up a sign next to them saying, please don't disturb me. <laughs> but yes, or they might, if they had a long commute, they might sort of schedule things which were sort of non, non-secret. Um, so something that they could be overlooked doing. So, so work-related learning might fall into that category if it, was, if, if it was quite generic. And they might decide to do that on their commute. So that, that's another sort of space for them where they weren't necessarily doing anything else. But again, not everyone wants to do that. And how did the design, the way that you design the learning in mobile technologies for these types of individuals, what kind of special considerations did you design into it that wouldn't be part of a more traditional one-day workshop, for example? I mean, I think you, you can't really design as such for, for assuming that individuals are escaping from places. But um, one thing that's been uh, a feature for a while is trying to create multi-device learning and essentially to design layouts for e-learning courses that adapt according to the device that you're using. So that gives people the opportunity to, to access the same course on a PC, a tablet or, or even a smartphone should they want to, which means that they can, should they want to. So if they're traveling from one office to another for a meeting, for example, they might want to access it on the train. Mm. So, so things like that make things more flexible. But I think potentially making things modular and not making any one thing too long probably makes, makes it more flexible. But I, I do think there are limitations to that. I don't think you can learn absolutely everything in snippets of time. Definitely not. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. So, so I think there comes a time where you need to think about setting aside time when people are uh, know that 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 that's, that learning is what they're supposed to be doing, even if that doesn't necessarily mean going to a workshop in a classroom or or setting aside some organisations, airlines particularly, are quite good at this. Actually, have e-learning rooms to do your e-learning and so it's kind of like somewhere between a library and a classroom but it's a place where you can go and not be interrupted so those sorts of things are more organizational design than the design of the course but I think that's probably equally important yes that I was that's exactly what um what I was thinking as well that this has nothing to do with the technology it has everything to do with our thinking around the technology and the organizational changes that we put in place. So I'm, I'm very intrigued by those e-learning rooms because it almost seems like a counterintuitive concept, doesn't it? Where we've been so excited about the term learning anywhere, anytime. But as you point out in your article as well, that it is very difficult to learn anywhere, anytime when you put it into the reality. And so in the airlines, they actually have physical rooms for your e-learning, which is an interesting concept. To, and have people found that useful well i think i mean, one of the reasons that they have these is actually because not everyone has a desk so if you're working you know if you're working in cargo for example you don't you don't necessarily have an office desk right so you you can't you can't do you can't do your e-learning at your desk as you might if you were working in a large open plan office so i, I think it stems from that as much perhaps as from a recognition that people in offices can't concentrate but I think it's an interesting idea because I think one of the things that might get lost when we 
move away from classrooms and libraries is that quiet place where it's understood that concentration is paramount. Mm. And do you find that organizations, I mean, I, I can see how in the airline industry, yes, absolutely, there's many people who don't have a specific desk uh, place to work. But in places where there, people do have a desk, do you think there's starting to be more of an understanding that actually learning is not something you can do at your desk surrounded by all the other normal things that are happening in your job? How, how are you seeing that shift, that kind of understanding? Well, I think it's difficult because some people can. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, a lot of, you know, many people struggle with it, but, but others don't. I mean, some people seem to be able to do it, but my hunch is that a lot of people find it difficult, actually, and, and I would say I'd probably be one of them. Mm. If I'm in a busy office, yeah. uh, other things kind of jump in the way, but some people are able to to do that but I think you know I have seen organizations introducing kind of library spaces and quiet spaces and I, that was something I was interested in of course the pandemic has uh, thrown everything up into the air rather because now a lot of people who were working in offices are now working at home and surrounded by their children so so the lack of a quiet place has perhaps become rather not no longer the problem of the open plan office but now the problem of the fact that you're on a makeshift desk in your living room and your children are close to hand. You were referring to this in your article as well, that this really, uh, in terms of inequalities in the environment that people work in, some people don't have the space to have a dedicated office in their home, others do, some people have children and other responsibilities, some people don't. It's a very varied um, context where finding the right space and time is, is extremely difficult. And I just read somewhere that during the pandemic, the average time of, of full concentration that people are able to have is about three minutes, which um, right. which is very, very, very difficult to work in that. So how do you think this will change our concepts of learning and especially workplace learning? So many people are using the technologies that enable them to work from home. Many people, of course, cannot, but those who can uh, work from home have the technology to be able to do that. But how do you think this will change our understanding and approach to what is needed in workplace learning? We're using these technologies, but also needing time and space to do it. Do you think this will have an impact? Yeah, I, I think it's difficult to say at this point. It may. I, I think it's made it very apparent that having the time and space to concentrate is really important both in work and in learning. Yeah, I, I don't know. Will people start going back to offices and will they come back with a new understanding of the importance of of place and the importance of somewhere to concentrate? Will, will people just not go back to offices and, and, you know, how will that work? I'm, I'm not really sure what's going to happen next, but I, I, I think there's been quite a lot of focus on how you how you learn and how you fit learning in people are certainly thinking about it maybe in different ways and in ways that they weren't so much before in in what in what way do you do you see that well like, i think you yeah a lot of you know there've been a lot of articles um in the press about how women for example are spending a lot more time homeschooling their children while mm -hmm. also trying to do full-time jobs and i think that's 
that's had the effect of making people realize what a great job teachers do <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but but also you know it it doesn't it just doesn't work you know the way we've we've society is has you know evolved up until now assumes that people go off to different places and those places sort of exclude various other things so that they can get on with concentrating on what they're doing right and when you when you chuck all the activities into a single location all at once <laughs> then then it does i guess get hard to concentrate on, on any one thing so so i don't know either we're going to end up as learning designers having to uh try and move somewhere to to facilitate things that will work under those circumstances but but i think you know we we can't fix we can't fix big structural inequalities i think with learning technology in in every case but yeah i think you know there's a limit to to you know what can be done mm. uh, to fix fix those sorts of issues I suppose this really brings to light again spaced practice and how we can reiterate information in a cyclical fashion. And even though we have small chunks, when we have small chunks of time to learn, how we can design learning to to really revisit concepts and uh, and make sure that we can learn it properly. So hopefully that's a good outcome that comes from this realization that it's it's very hard to find the space and time to do learning. Yes, I think I think we could improve with our learning and our uh, with our design of learning over time and planning and helping people helping people fit meaningful learning into smaller chunks of time. But I think that needs to come with the realization that, that it may therefore take people longer to actually learn any one thing mm-hmm. if it's done in that way. Potentially, you know, if if you're giving people very small amounts and then you know repeating it. It's going. It may take longer to actually get get them to the place that they might otherwise reach. Or although there is some suggestion that that these these approaches can actually be very efficient. What advice would you have for some key strategies and ideas for learning designers to keep in mind when they're when they're designing learning technologies for the workplace? What 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 are some suggestions that you would have that maybe aren't in existence right now? Sure. Well, I think I think going back to, you know, every project is different, I guess. So talking to the learners, talking to the organization, taking time to understand, understand what the what the issues are, what the underlying issues are, and then thinking very much in terms of structure as well and how how you can um, best structure something to make it easy to grasp. And if, if time is the is an issue, then, yeah, thinking about how things can be sequenced and perhaps chunked up into smaller chunks may maybe maybe a good approach I think that it may not be (laughs) it it will depend and I think that you exactly touched on something that's very important that I think is is uh is not always considered the fact that the context is different all the time and the objective is different all the time and the importance how of devoting time and energy to talk to the learners, to understand their context, understand what is going to work best for them and and implementing the learning strategies to fit that context. That certainly I think is, is something that is that can be overlooked when uh, when designing learning experiences. First asking the questions uh, is so critical, isn't it? 
I think so. I think so because you know pe- people are different and and problems are different, and it's sort of having a full understanding of those that may help you get to to a good solution. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So before we end, I would like to ask you for a takeaway that you would like to give to the listeners, either a book, article, uh, saying, whatever inspires you. Sure. Well, I think I'd like to offer a quote, if I may. Absolutely. That's now, great. I'm afraid I can't remember who this is by, but it's not its not by me. <laughs> okay. But, but, but I do like it. And uh, it is, if you, if you think education is expensive, you should try the alternative. Oh, that's fantastic. That is a really, really good quote, especially in this time of economic challenge that we're going through right now and in the future. And in economic downturns, very often it's the learning that goes out first, isn't it, in an organization that gets cut. Um, Has that been your experience? It can. People in senior positions may not be entirely sure of the importance of learning or the importance of training and learning and education they, mm-hmm. they may see it as a oh well it's you know it's probably something we should do but then they're not quite sure what exactly it's achieving for them so it can be something that that may get cut if they are trying to save money and it's often very hard to measure the exact financial impact of good education isn't it in the workplace uh, or in general but as you said trying the alternative then you're really really going to see the (laughs) the cost so that's a very important thing thank you very much imogen for sharing your experience and research and ideas today and i really appreciate you taking the time a pleasure thank thank you